Well, we are into week number four of our Come and See series as we study the Gospel of John. And, and I hope you've been able to track along with us. Uh, just a, a quick reminder, as I like to do, uh, all of our messages are on our website at trinitycanmore.com media, as well as Facebook and YouTube. And we're trying to get them on Spotify as well. It may actually be there. I set it up. I'm not sure that they've approved it and got us going. So you can listen in the car as you commute or drive or whatever else. Uh, if you did tune in with us last time and saw me just miming my message for the whole middle of the service, uh, my apologies for that. I hit the button on my mic and didn't turn it back on. So it was re-recorded and it is online now so you can catch up from last week. Just to sort of catch us up from, from what, we've, what we've covered for the last few weeks. In our first week, we actually started looking at the Gospel of John by going to the end. And we went to John chapter 20 where he gives us his purpose statement for writing the book. Do you remember what it was? He says this, that, that Jesus did many other signs and, and, and things in the presence of the disciples that are not written in this book. He did way more. We could write way more about all that he said and did and where we went and what, what we saw him do and who he was. But these ones, John says, these ones were written. This is enough that you can believe Jesus is the Christ that he is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the goal. That's the reason he wrote. We also, that first week, looked at the first five verses of chapter one, which are uh, maybe familiar or, or famous verses from this gospel where we, uh, we learn about who Jesus is. And maybe you've, you're, again, familiar with them, where John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus being with God. He was, with, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him, in this word, was life, and that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the second week, we, we added to that, and we looked at the whole prologue from John chapter 1, 1 to 18, and what we saw in those verses ultimately is, is what one writer calls a, a massive, cosmic, expansive breadth of a description that describes the Christology of Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, what that means, and he tells us all about who Jesus is. See, John introduces his gospel in this prologue by answering the question and saying to us, this is who Jesus is. That's what verses 1 to 18 are. And then I'm going to prove it to you through the rest of the gospel. The prologue talks about, again, how Jesus existed before time, how he has no beginning, how he was actively a part of creation. And then down in verse 14, and the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. This is what we as, as Jesus followers call the incarnation. The word literally means that, that they put meat onto God. And Jesus walked this earth as a human being. He stepped into our time, our space, our history, just like every one of us. And so the prologue answers the question, who is Jesus? Then last week we looked at the middle of the chapter where we were kind of reintroduced to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist sort of took central stage for a minute there. We saw that he was the one that had come to, to prepare the way, to point people in the way of Jesus. And he declared that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And we noted that we, we saw this interaction between John and some of the, the leading priests, the, the leaders from Jerusalem who had come and asked him questions. They came and they said, well, who are you? Are, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet we've been waiting for? Tell us who you are. Why are you baptizing? And we noted that, that his posture was one of such humility. In all those questions, he could have said, I'm the last of the Old Testament prophets. Who do you think you are? But instead he said, no, I'm just the one pointing you to Jesus. I'm not even worth untying Jesus. I'm not worth the, the lowest job of the lowest servant to Jesus. You've got to go find him. In all of his answers, he, he just kept pointing people to Jesus. And we are to learn from that. That's our job, too, to, to, to prepare the way to, to point people to Jesus. And so if the first week answered the question, who is Jesus? The last week answered, who is John? Which really flows into, who are we? since we, like John, are to point the way to Jesus. This week, we're really going to camp out on the question, what are you looking for? See, if we take all these three questions that, that now fill the entire first chapter of John, it's really the launching point into the rest, which will ultimately get us to chapter 20, where John says, I've told you enough, you can believe now. And so for the rest of the book, John's just going to keep answering these questions. Show us more answers to this question. Who is Jesus? Who are we? What are you looking for? And so as you read the text, as you, and I would encourage you to regularly during the week, walk through the, the part of the Bible that we're preaching on, that we're studying as a, as a church. So as you read the Gospel of John in the week, come with these questions on your mind regularly. Who is Jesus? What's this passage telling me about who he is? What's this passage telling me about who I am in light of that? And what am I looking for? And John ultimately, a bit of a spoiler alert, will show us that we are looking for Jesus. We are looking to the one that was light and will bring life, will bring flourishing, will bring abundance. So let's dive in this morning. We're starting at verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as Jesus was walking by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now these two disciples heard him say this, and so they followed Jesus. Once again, John is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. He sees Jesus again and says, That's the one. That's the, yesterday I told you about him. That's the one, you guys. And so they followed him. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw these two disciples that had started to follow him, and he said to them, what are you seeking? Again, that, that's the question, that, that's the whole center point of this morning's message of this text. What are you seeking? One of the things I love about Jesus is the way that he interacts with people. I can learn so much from him about that. Jesus' style of evangelism, of, of sharing the good news, is a lot different than, than maybe we would expect it to be. When you think of, of someone called an evangelist, what are some of the pictures that come into your mind? I think often our, our minds go to maybe someone standing on a soapbox in a corner, on a corner of the street, yelling through a megaphone, or maybe a really big event with a big stage and a really well-known speaker. Maybe more recently, it's, it's a YouTube video that pops up that says, this person destroys this worldview, whether it's atheism or New Age or Darwinism or whatever. Unfortunately, Oftentimes, none of those ideas of what an evangelism, evangelist is in our head, none of those really seem to be good news to the ones listening. I don't want my worldview destroyed in a five-minute YouTube clip. I don't want someone to just, I, that I don't know to yell at me on the street corner. 
But look what Jesus does. Before he's going to tell these two the good news, which is what an evangelism does and where he has to get, but he starts by asking questions. What are you looking for? Why, why are you following me? What's on your heart? And so what is Jesus doing here? He's inviting these guys into relationship. One writer uh, ties us actually back to Genesis 3 as well. If Jesus is God and God is God. If we look at Genesis 3, Adam and Eve have just rebelled against God, gone their own way, they've sinned. And, and what does God do when he comes? What does he ask them when he comes to the garden to pursue them? He's, hey, where are you? God knows, right? There wasn't some tree in the garden that limited God's omniscience, and all of a sudden he didn't know where Adam and Eve were. This isn't a, a game of hide and seek. God knew exactly where they were, but he was calling them out. Where are you? They said, we're hiding. And we, we're naked, so we're ashamed, so we're hiding. And what's God's second question? Who told you that? Why, why are you thinking that way? Two questions. Where are you and, and who have you been listening to? Because it's not me. So often we think that, that when we sin, when we go our own way, that God is just going to come at us with a condemning word. But he doesn't right away. He comes to, to build relationship. And so now you and I, I think, can learn a lot from Jesus here in, in this and, of course, in many other ways as well, that the, about how we speak to one another, how we, we speak to others about Jesus. And we should ask ourselves, how often do we just ask really good questions? And I know that, that some of us are, are really good at this. They can just, you know, they've got that list of questions and they, they, they can hear what someone's saying and know the next question to just keep drawing more out in love and in grace. For others of us, like myself, this takes, takes practice. But Jesus starts with this, this fundamental question, what are you seeking? Other translations of our Bible might say, you know, what do you want? Why are you following me? What are you, what are you looking for? And again, this is really an important question for every one of us to ask and answer for ourselves, even right now in the moment. And I'll, I'll give you a second to sort of ask the question of your heart, of your, of your desires, of, of how you see your own purpose. What are you looking for? What are you, what are you seeking? What, what do you want? What are you craving See, those questions, as simple as they may sound, are really quite profound. And if we, if we sit with them for just a couple minutes, they get deeper and deeper and they peel the layers off and can get deeper into our heart. Because if we sp spend some time examining what we're looking for, we're going to discover what's driving us. I really want this thing and here's how I'm going to get it. Because ultimately, what you're looking for is what's driving everything about you. It's what's, what's pushing you towards something. Uh, a few years ago, Naomi and I had the opportunity to go to a concert. This little band, maybe you've heard of them, in this little venue called Commonwealth Place uh, in Edmonton. A little band called U2. Uh, one of their most popular songs, maybe you've heard of it, is I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And it's interesting that the lyrics of that song, they could, they could really be asking the question in a couple different ways. It's, it's, I'm looking for something, but I don't know what it is. Maybe that's what he's saying, because it opens up, I've climbed the highest mountains, I've, I've run through the fields, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
Or it could be saying, you know what, I, I know what I'm looking for, but I haven't found it yet. I'm looking for meaning and value and purpose, but I haven't found that yet. And so I think it might be safe for us to, to guess that when Jesus asked these two guys, what are you looking for? He's asking the question this way. Do, do you know what you're looking for? These guys just heard John say, there goes the Lamb of God. And so they instinctively follow after Jesus. So, so it makes sense that Jesus is kind of asking, why are you following me? Do you know what you're getting yourselves into? Do you know what you're looking for? And I'd suggest it's probably safe to say that no, they didn't know what they were in for. They, they, they didn't know what was coming. So let me ask you, do you know what you're looking for? Have you, have you asked yourself that question? Have you considered what it is that's driving you? Or have you just let culture and the people around you and, and the news and whatever else make those decisions for you? Because if, if you and I don't take time to actively ask ourselves these questions and actively head out after an answer, someone else will tell you what you ought to be looking for. We just finished watching uh, The Social Dilemma last night, the, the documentary on Netflix, and let me tell you, Facebook will tell you what you should be looking for. Twitter will tell you. Instagram, all these things, they will tell you in a scary way what you should be looking for. There is an entire multi, multi-billion dollar advertising industry to tell you what it is you need and where to find it. Just upgrade your device. Come get a new set of skis. Come get the new thing. Our phones are loaded up with apps to tell us the same thing. So Jesus here is trying to get to the very core of their being and our beings by asking us, what are you looking for? So every time we come to this text, we need to keep this question in mind because John, the gospel writer, is going to tell us it's Jesus. Jesus, in the one that, Jesus is the one that will, will meet every need, will fill every longing, will bring life and life to the fullest. Look how they answer Jesus in verse 38. They say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now we have a few teachers as part of Trinity here, but, but teacher today is a lot different than rabbi. Uh, see, they're not looking to Jesus here, calling him teacher as though, okay, I think he's got classes Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 9 till 11, so we'll be there in this room. But instead, a rabbi was something you wanted to be like. It was someone you, you followed in their tracks, that you spent your life with, watching them, how they lived, so you could become more like them. There was a saying in the first century that, you know, let us, let us be covered in the dust of the rabbi's sandals. We went for a little hike yesterday. It's dusty out there. So if you follow close enough to this person, they, their dust that they kicked up as they walked would be all over you. And so when they say, where are you staying? They're, they're not asking, whose house are you staying at? They're using the same word that we actually looked at last week when, when, when John said, I saw the Holy Spirit come down and rest or remain on Jesus. It's the same word John's going to use further ahead in chapter 15 when Jesus says, we need to abide with him. So they're asking Jesus, Jesus, where are you resting? Where are you remaining? Where are you abiding? It's a way bigger question than whose roof are you sleeping under? They're asking Jesus, how, are you, how do you live? Will you show us what life looks like? Will you show us how you value things, what you value? How, how do we have a life like yours? Because we've just heard you're the Lamb of God. I think, I think we need to be here. 
Later, we'll see Jesus say in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. See, that's what John's setting us up for here, that Jesus is going to show us what that life is like. I love Jesus' response to them in verse 39, just, just come and you will see. It's a promise. If you come, if you follow me, you will see how I abide. You will see how I live. I promise you, you will see what abundant life looks like. See, that, that promise that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago is just as true for us today. Come and you'll see. Come, come be with Jesus and you'll see life as it was meant to be. Jesus is the answer to the what are you longing for question. See, and that's what's unique about Christianity as well. It's not come and join us in being really good religious people. Come and, 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 and be with us as we check off the list of all these good works. But instead, we are inviting people to come and be with the one who is life itself. And come and find life in him. Come and find life in Jesus. See, that's the call of us as the church too. It's not just to come to a gathering in person or online or however we have to do it and, and hear a message that will change your life, although those are good things and messages can change life, but, but church is a people. And every one of us that says, you know, come and spend time with me. Come and spend time with us and we will point you to Jesus. That's what the church is. It's relational. It's hospitable. And so when we talk about gathering into smaller groups or the care group we have running or missional communities or, or whatever language you want to put into that, this is the goal, that we would get together, that we would encourage one another, that we would also encourage those who don't yet know Jesus to know Jesus more and see Jesus in us. Verse 39 continues. And so they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him for that day, and it was about the 10th hour. What a day they must have had with Jesus. Look what comes next. The, the two followed Jesus. They, they accepted his invitation to come and see, and they, they spent the day with him. They, they came to see how he was abiding with the, the Father. And then in verse 40, we see uh, one of the two of them who heard John speak and followed Jesus, so one of these two disciples, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, lots of people speculate that the other one of these two was actually John who's writing here. We don't know that for sure, but it seems maybe it was because John's around and he knows the stories. And so Andrew and, and maybe John, they were with Jesus for that day. And how did they respond? They had to go tell someone. Verse 41, he, he went, he found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. We've, we've found the promised one, the one we've been waiting for, the one we've been longing for. And he brought his brother to Jesus. See what's, what's happened here? They, these two guys spent the day with Jesus and they were so affected by their time with him that they needed to tell someone. And notice what, what John the author doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us what they talked about what they did. It doesn't tell us about, maybe they had a Bible study. It doesn't tell us, maybe they healed someone. Maybe they did whatever else we see Jesus do later on. Because remember, John says, I could have told you so much more, but this is enough. The gospel writers, they, they don't waste any words. They tell us just what we need to know. And all John tells us, all we need to know 
is that they were with Jesus and they were changed forever. And they knew they had to go tell someone else. You know what? That's, that's the essence of evangelism. It's having been with Jesus and then having to tell someone else about it. And, and I know that, that, that the idea of evangelism can sometimes seem really, really hard or, or uncomfortable or whatever it is, any number of things. But everyone can do what Andrew just did. Right? All he does is he, he tells Peter what he's experienced when he met Jesus. He spent time. He told someone he cared about. He told someone he had a relationship with. He told someone he loved. He said, Simon, I don't have to sing that U2 song anymore. I know what I'm looking for. It's Jesus. That's maybe me putting something back into the text, but he knows. He knew it. And so I think we can do that. We can can carve out time to be with Jesus, and then we can tell people about it, right? We can, we can walk into situations with people that we know, even if we don't get to the point of explaining the whole gospel of Jesus having died for our sins and being raised on the third day and new life in him, but we can go into situations with people we know don't know Jesus and say, okay, what little piece can I drop today? What can I, I talk about, about how Jesus has changed my life? I went on this missions trip because it's not about me, this life. I did this thing. There's nothing wrong, um, wait, let me back up a bit here. I heard a, a pastor ask this, this question, I think he's right. He wonders if, if our affluence as a society makes us think we already have abundant life. We think we already have it all, so, so what more could we want? Why, why add Jesus to what I've got? Because I've got everything. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with having wealth and money, although the Bible does warn that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to get into heaven. But we may think that we already have abundant life living in Canmore in 2020. I mean, look out the windows. What, what more could we ask for, right? But let me tell you, without Jesus, everything else is just a cheap substitute for abundant life. You know, the, the two groups that Jesus was hardest on in the Gospels were the religious people and the wealthy people because they both thought they had something they could trust in instead of Jesus, either their works or their wealth. The religious people thought they were good. They didn't need Jesus because they've already done the right things. And the wealthy people didn't think they needed Jesus because they already had all the stuff. So for you and me, we can, we can walk this line and this danger every single day. You know, I'm a good person. I haven't done anything that bad. I, I've, I've got all my needs taken care of. I don't need Jesus to help me put food on the table today. So the question for us is, are we, we living in real, true abundance or just the illusion of abundance because we think we have it all together and don't need Jesus? Verse 42, Jesus looked at him, Simon, and said, you are Simon, son of John you should be called Cephas or Capus, which means Peter. I love this. Jesus looked at Simon, and we could also translate that little phrase as Jesus looked into Simon. This isn't just a, you know, a casual, their eyes meet, and now Jesus knows this is Andrew's brother, and we're, we're good to go, but he kind of looks straight into his heart. And he says, Simon, son of John, which uh, some are suggest, suggest that this is saying from, from the meaning of, the, of the, the names there, you know what, you're, you're shifty 
you're kind of built on shifting sand, Simon. Your, your foundation is not strong, but you will be called Cephas. You'll be called Kephas, which means Peter, which means rock, specifically a rock created, designed for building, a strong rock. See what, what Jesus has done here? Us spending time with Jesus isn't just about us seeing him, but it's also about him seeing us. So Jesus sees Simon coming and he looks into him and he speaks something about who Peter will be. Simon, you're going to get it together. You will be the rock. Some days this is a scary thing to be seen by Jesus because I, I know that he will see me for who I am. He's going to see me as that shifty, waving one, the one that's chasing after things that won't ultimately satisfy, that, that isn't, you know, you know, that it's going my own way at times. But you know what the most life-giving thing we can ever experience might be? Is being seen by Jesus because he sees me for who I really am. Not just who I am in this moment, but who I may be. We need to remember that the gospel is good news for everything in my life. The, the the way that Jesus lived a perfect life in my place makes me good and worthy. Not my stuff, his stuff. And when Jesus died on the cross in my place, I am forgiven for every sin I have committed, will commit today, and ever will commit in the future. And when he was buried in the grave, my old self was buried with him. That, that old way of life, that shifty, wavy one is dead with him too. And when he is resurrected, conquering Satan, sin, and death once and for all for us, we are also raised to new life with him. And I'm forgiven, and I'm accepted, and that old self isn't what God sees in me any longer because it's the new self cloaked in Jesus' good work, in Jesus' righteousness. I don't need to strive and work to earn my good standing with God. Jesus already did that. It's been accomplished for us. The work is done and so Jesus can see what I will be, not just what I am. And that's what we're seeing with Simon Peter here. Jesus saying, Simon, shifty one, I'm calling you rock because that's who you will be. D.A. Carson says it this way. He says, the focus is much less on what the name change means for Peter, although that's pretty significant, but the focus should be more on the Jesus who knows people thoroughly and not only what he sees into them, but he so calls them and makes them what he calls them to be. Let me say that again. It's, it's not just about the name change. It's what, what Jesus sees into people, but also calls them so that he can make them what he calls them to be. He's saying Jesus sees our weakness, but he calls us out to strength in him. See, Jesus may look into you or me, and he may say, Sean, I, I see your weakness. I see the ways that, that you stumble and fall. I see the things that are drawing you away. I, I see the shiftiness in you. But what I want to see is boldness. And what I'm calling out of you is boldness and courage and strength in me. One writer says this. He says, this is how Christianity works. God declares something to be true in the heavenly realms, which are without time, so that in our present chronos, in our present time-based reality that we're in, you and I might get to live out the future reality of what God sees to be true in our future life. This is what Christianity is about. You get the, the resurrection of Jesus, which is the first fruits of a new creation, and, you're begin, and it's being given to you by the Spirit so that in this moment you can become what God already sees in you. 
It's not because you work hard. It's not because you try hard, although we should put effort into these things, right? You can't passively be more like Jesus. But it's because you decide you want to be with Jesus and be like Jesus. So maybe we need to just take a minute here and ask Jesus and ask him to have a look at us. And ask him, if Jesus, if you were right here with me, and we know he is, but what, would you, what do you see in me? What do you see in me? I hope when we're, we're asking the most important questions about value and identity and worth and purpose, that we don't first look to those around us, but we look to Jesus. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now Jesus is on the move here too and he's going after people. It's, it's very likely that since Philip was from the same town as, as Adam, uh, Andrew and Peter that the brother said to Jesus, listen, we need to introduce you to Philip too. Let, let, let's head this way, let's go. So often we think that evangelism is just about us talking to people about Jesus. Us talking to our friends and family and neighbors and whoever else about Jesus. But it's also the flip side of that. It's us talking to Jesus about our friends and family. It has to go both ways. We talk to others about Jesus and we talk to Jesus about others. That's what we saw here. Jesus, we got to come with us. We want to introduce you to Peter. This is what we call intercessory prayer, that we would kind of stand in the gap, that we would speak to Jesus on behalf of others, that we would stand in the gap for our friends who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, and we would talk to Jesus about them. The other part about this is if we do and when we do struggle to to talk to our friends or family about Jesus, start talking to Jesus about our friends first. Spend time with Jesus, be with Jesus, and then go to others as well. Andrew and Peter were with Jesus, and they said, we need to find Philip. He needs to hear this. And look what Philip does in verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found the one of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is, you know, that's just some little hick town down the road. When I was at a church in Calgary or living at where I grew up in Edmonton, I'd say, can anything good come out of Calgary? Right? Like it's, it's that there's, the, there's a battle between places and Nazareth, what good could possibly come out of Nazareth? Philip heard that and said, well, come and see. It's a snowball effect happening here, right? We're seeing it right away in the early days, in the first moments of Jesus' public ministry. Andrew gets Peter, Peter gets Philip, Philip gets Nathaniel, and on and on we go. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now, I've always read this and thought, that's kind of a funny thing for Jesus to say. But there's a lot going on here. It's bigger than what what we necessarily see at first glance. Do you remember, anyone here can help me out, do you remember an Old Testament character, I'll give you a hint, who was very significant in the history of Israel, whose name also meant deceiver. Remember? Jacob. Remember what happens to Jacob around Genesis 28? He's, he's sleeping and he gets this vision of a ladder. We, we call it Jacob's ladder now. And he sees this vision of a ladder between heaven and earth. And, and angels are going up and down in this vision. And he gets a vision of God. 
And God changes his name from deceiver, Jacob, to Israel, which means the man who sees God. So what's happening to Nathaniel here? He's, he is seeing God. He is, he is a true Israelite. What an Israelite meant a people who saw God. And so Jesus is saying, Behold, one who truly sees God, one in whom there's no deceit. And so again, there is a lot going on here. Jesus is connecting dots that, that fulfill that story that they were all longing for. They knew the story of Jacob's ladder, that, that one day there will be this staircase, this ladder where, where heaven will come down to earth. And it's happening. It's starting in this moment. And we're also seeing a guy who, who when he sees Jesus, the deceit is taken away. Because he called Jesus at the beginning when, when we first read those verses, son of Joseph, Jesus of Nazareth. Both of these were kind of derogatory statements. But look how he responds to Jesus. Nathaniel said, how do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, I saw you under the tree. And maybe maybe we, need, we need to hear this, that whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, that Jesus sees us. He sees us before we see him. He, he knows us. He's for you. He's, he's pursuing relationship. He's, he's asking good questions. He's trying to, to draw you to it. Maybe you're, you're running from that. Maybe you're running from Jesus. You're not aware of that, but he is there and he sees you. And we see it go from son of Joseph, Jesus of Nazareth. In verse 49, Nathanael says, Rabbi, you are son of God. And you are the king of Israel. Nathaniel spent a moment with Jesus and his eyes were opened because Jesus saw him. No longer is this son of Joseph, but this is now son of God. No longer is this Jesus of Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? But this is the king of Israel. Lots of us start where Nathaniel did. Oh, Jesus, he's that cute little baby in the manger that shows up around Christmas, right? He's that, that Jewish boy. He's that, that good teacher. He was that prophet at that time. He had, he's a great idea. But as we spend time with him, our eyes too will be opened and we will see, just like Nathaniel, that he's so much more than that. The last couple of verses, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Well, let me tell you, you will see greater things than these. And then he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's Jacob's ladder. As we're going to keep going through this Gospel of John, we're going to see this picture unfold where heaven meets earth. We're going to see Jesus do great things because he is the Son of God because he is the long-awaited, promised, and expected king of Israel. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Again, thank you for your word. Thank you for this text. I pray that, that we wouldn't uh, you know, move on from this moment in our day without asking the question, what do I want? What am I, what am I chasing after? Where am I going for my purpose and my identity and my value and worth and, and what, 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 what do I, am I pursuing for meaning? Jesus, I, I ask that you would be so present with each one of us that, that we would hear you answer, 
it's me. The answer to those questions ought to be me. Come spend time with me. Thank you that you see us. Thank you that you can, you can look into us and you can, you can call out all that you want, as we did with Peter. We don't have to be shifty, but you call out the rock in Peter. And so, I, again, I ask, even in this moment as we pray, Jesus, that you would call out something in us, that we would hear your voice, that we would hear that, that stirring in our souls, that, that you speak something of us. Who are we, Jesus? Whether it's son, daughter, beloved one, and one who, one who sees God, one who, one who knows God. Jesus, when we, when we look for answers to these big questions, when we look for answers to what do we want, like you asked, I pray and ask that we would go to you, we would go to your word first. I pray that you would help us to see where we are being uh, unintentionally or, or maybe even intentionally persuaded by the shifting sands of culture the shifting sands of people around us who, who generally just want to use us and instead we would, we would go to you first. Thank you that you love us so much. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.